The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Uh, Good morning. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Isn't it great to see one another's face? I'll tell you, looking out, um, I'm used to seeing, you know, people about a quarter of your height. um, And, but it's great to see you all. (laughs) Um, Have you been enjoying the the parenting season? Season. The parenting series. It's a parenting season that never ends, isn't it? Um, I hope you have. And today we're going to finish up the last two weeks, as you'll see in a few minutes. But there was an elderly lady who was amazed at how nice the young man next door was. Every day he would come by her house and he would help her with things, getting things out of the car, cleaning up her yard. He would just be willing to help her with whatever she needed. One day, the old lady finally asked the young man, Son, how is it that you, are, you have become such a fine young man? The young man replied, Well, when I was a boy, I had a drug problem. And the old lady looked shocked. She, she said, I can't believe it. He, the young man said, Yes, it's true. My parents drugged me to church on Sunday morning. They drugged me to church on Sunday evening, and certainly they drugged me to church on Wednesday Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday evening. You know, some parents may think that's the best way to raise a child, and it certainly is a good good method to to having your child hear the gospel message by bringing them to church. But as you've learned through these parenting series, raising your children is a lot more than bringing them to church. And um, before we get into the, the two... Um, topics that we're going to talk today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the love for us. We thank you for your care and your concern. Lord, I just pray through these two chapters, the gospel message will be brought out that um, parents, young and old, um, may be able to see what the word of God has in store for them to make them better parents, to allow their children to grow up, to be Um, devoted followers of Christ. Lord, we thank you for today. We pray that you will block out everything in our our hearts and our minds that may distract the Holy Spirit from talking to us. And let us hear your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about the last two principles, and that's um, rest and mercy. We're going to switch them around because I figured after um, six weeks, of talking about parenting. I'm sure you've gotten pounded with all the things you've done wrong over the years, looking and trying to figure out how to correct those going forward or how to instill those into your, to your own children, whether they're young and old. So we'll put rest at the end because I'm figuring we all need some rest and figure out how we can get rest from this exhausting um, task of being a parent. Um, so today we'll address mercy first. So what is mercy? Biblical mercy is a form, is a term that is known and understood by Christians. I think somewhat. We've heard it throughout church all of our lives. Mercy, grace, mercy, grace. Um, But it's a complicated topic, and many books are written on that topic by themselves. Just like many other English words, there are multiple Hebrew and Greek words in their languages that mean mercy. And if you look in the Bible, there are, there are about 260 verses that contain mercy as a topic in those verses. There are what? 66, by, 66 books in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. 41 of those books address mercy, at least somewhere in, in that book. So over half of our Bible deals with in within their books within the 66 books the topic of mercy i think it's important it's an important subject that god wants us to 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 learn something and know something about 
if you think about it in the old testament much of the old testament it seems the the israelites were crying out for god's mercy on them through the persecution they're suffering and if they weren't crying out mercy they were probably doing some silly stuff that they should have been crying out mercy for because of the things that they were doing that they shouldn't have been doing so what is biblical mercy and how does it relate to us and how does it relate to us as parents Simply put, it's God withholding the punishment that we deserve. But the thing is, God doesn't want us to feel ashamed that we deserve punishment. He doesn't want us to receive a condemnation, but he wants to use that, that mercy that he gives us to give a sense of how much he loves us, that he loves us that much that for something that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve in our lives, he is not going to make us accountable for that. Um, so much so that, for, that because of his gift of a son dying on a cross for us, that he forgives us of our sins that happened yesterday, that are happening today, and that will certainly happen um, tomorrow. So what does it look like when we show mercy to someone else? It is someone who shows tenderheartedness and compassion towards someone in need. Someone who shows tenderheartedness and compassion and some and someone in need. Do you think your children are needy? <laughs> I think they are. Shelter, food, clothing, uh, guidance, directions, occasionally discipline, right? They definitely need love and nurture, and maybe, just maybe, they need a lot of patience and understanding. Our children need to see mercy from us as we reflect the mercy God has shown us. Our children need to see mercy from us to reflect what the mercy is that God has shown us. Now that doesn't mean we allow them to get away with their mistakes and their sins. Um, they don't get to determine how late they're going to stay, stay up or out. They don't get to get away with their disobedience and their disrespect. Um, they must be, we must hold them accountable to the word of God. No different than God and we hold each other accountable to the word of God. But what it does mean is that we offer that discipline, that correction, that instruction, that guides with love and tenderness. Bless your children with some patience and try to understand where they are and why they did what they did so that then you can better help them get to where God wants them to be. There may be occasions to get angry, but I'm guessing if you sit back and think about it for a while, that there are more times that you got angry where there, there wasn't really a reason to be angry. And when, what happens when we get angry? The message is lost, isn't it? When we yell, when we raise our voice, when we do things out of anger, when we're frustrated, they could be totally wrong with whatever they're doing but it's not heard. So there is a way to be firm in your position and unwavering without your fist pounding on the table, either figuratively or literally. Mercy is dealing with your children in love even when they don't deserve love, even when they may not even be lovable. Our children should feel that we have forgiven them for their mistakes just as God forgives us as we said in the intro every day for all of our mistakes and sins they should feel our forgiveness for their mistakes showing mercy is hard as parents it's not an easy topic and it's not something easy to do it's not natural we want to rebuke we want to defend our position we want to say see I told you I was right you were wrong we want to condemn what is wrong. We think we're doing justice. 
by condemning the, the wrong and bringing the wrong out in front of their eyes. But we need a more merciful heart. We're going to have to work at it. It's not going to be easy. But we need to pray to God to give us mercy as we try to be more merciful to our children. God, we need to pray that God is merciful with us as we practice and perfect or try to perfect giving mercy um, onto our children. So it sounds good, right? Easy. We got this. We know we need to be merciful. We're going to do it, right? Well, not really. It's not easy. <laughs> so do your kids feel like we're delivering God's judgment on them when we're correcting them, or do they feel like we're giving them mercy? What does the Bible say about mercy? On to Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. And then finally, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it's not our mercy that our children need. It's that they need to experience God's mercy through our words and our actions. So are we committed? Are you committed? Am I committed to this? Are we ready to be more merciful? As we said, it might be a little easier said than done. So here, here it is. We're going to give some easy steps that will start showing how God's mercy, how we can start showing God's mercy to our children that our Heavenly Father has shown us. This all doesn't work unless you believe that you need to show more mercy, unless you're committed to it. But I'm hoping that as you go through this list, if you're a little bit hesitant that you need to be more merciful, that, you're, that, you know, that we need to show a little bit more discipline, we need tough love, that you know, there's too much mercy in this society today, maybe by the time we get through this list, your mind will be changed. So number one, look for opportunities to show grace. Well, you know, as, as we go through this series and we're talking about parenting, uh, I ask my kids, you know, is it okay if I share stories? Because what does a parent know best? The experiences they have. I've got one child that says, I don't care, whatever. And the other one says, uh, I need to see the list, you know. What, what, what you're going to do. Well, today, this first example is going to be for my own life. Um, I was about 13 years old. We had moved to Western Maryland from here. Never been to church before in my life. Never, I mean, nothing. No vacation Bible school, no Sunday school, nothing. Never, I don't even recollect being in a church for a wedding. I don't know. Maybe kids weren't invited to weddings, weddings then. Um, but we moved into a neighborhood that there was a church right around the corner, and one of the baddest kids in the neighborhood was a preacher's son and so I started hanging out with him and a couple other people and he said like dude if I got to go to church you got to go to church and it was like a half a mile walk so went to church well was there for about uh, six months and um, had a great Sunday school teacher that just walked through the book of John and the good news for modern men and next thing you know I'm in I'm a believer I, I asked Christ into my heart. I walked home the long way and said, Lord, I had no idea what I just did, but I'm sure I'm asking you to, to, to help reveal it to me. And I'm thinking 40 years later, I think he's still revealing to me what I did. But we still, I'm still, just like any other kid, still hanging out with the kids that he typically hangs out with. And in our neighborhood, there was a Catholic school that went that was right around the corner and that catholic school was large enough that it had school buses so it ran through well we were off i was a public school kid we were off and so were the other kids so we decided let's egg the catholic school bus great idea never done it before never did it pretty good kid even though i didn't go to church before this great idea who do they, there's six of us who do they put first in line me hiding behind a bush what am i wearing a blue jacket that says Yankees across the back. So get out, throw my egg, bullseye right on top. 
run away from the bus. Big old Yankees thing sitting on the, my back. Fast forward to the, to the end of the story. I get caught. Police officer comes. I'm in the back of the police car. I'm not handcuffed or anything. This is Cumberland, Maryland. It's a little, you know, it's not a small, small town, but it's small enough. So we're heading down to the, the police station. He's asking me, how are your grades? I'm like, uh, A's and B's. And I said, uh, like, is this going to be in the newspaper? <laughs> like, that's what I was worried about. <laughs> like, am I going to be arrested? Do, and what does this mean? I had no idea what it meant. Well, he takes me down to the police station. Of course, he just calls my parents. My dad comes down, talks to the, the guy. I get pulled away. He talks to the thing. And next thing I know, I'm leaving. You know, mercy or not, you know, I get a little help out the door as we're leaving. Um, and I get home. Scared to death. Have no idea what's going to happen. Kids, kids the next day at school. It's on the weekend. Kids next day at school says, are you on restriction? Are you punished? I'm like, I have no idea, but I'm not asking to do a thing. So I say that as the topic is look for opportunities to show grace. We were a brand new Christian family, and it would have been nice. I was a, I was a kid that needed to, to know what they did was wrong but understand why I did that. It was peer pressure. I was doing something I didn't want to do. I, if somebody said, let's not do it, I just said, I vote for not doing it. But I was pushed into it. So there was an opportunity. So when something like that happens, can you imagine if your son or daughter came home and told you that same story and you had to go to the police, police station? What would, your, what would your position be? What would your attitude be? Would it be, oh, this is an opportunity for grace? Or is it, I want to strangle them? So, but that's the reality. Look at from the child's side. They need grace. They need some mercy. They need to understand that you understand and are ready to show them mercy. So like I said, it's not going to be easy. It's not that they didn't clean their room. When you decide to commit to that, that's what's going to happen next. You're going to have something that really needs to, to show mercy. So let's be clear. Um, not making a wrong that your child does right. That's not the thing. Instead, it's showing your child with love, care, constructive correction. And did you hear that? It is constructive correction. How many times have you said, I, um, what was, <laughs> it's my favorite one and I couldn't, couldn't remember. You've got to be kidding me. Or I can't believe you did that. Or what were you thinking when you said this to your mother? Like, how many times has that, those words, and that's your first reaction, come out of your mouth? Probably all too often. Maybe instead it should have looked like something like, okay, let me try to understand what you were thinking when you did this. Or, you know there might be some, there likely be some consequences to your actions. So the result's still going to be the same. There's still going to be discipline involved. There's still going to be correction. But the tone determines how the ears of your child listen. Number two, change of heart. Now that you're ready to have a discussion with your child and it's going to be calm and it's going to be correcting in nature, why are you having that? And it's because we want a heart change. So when a child's heart is, when a child sees that you're encouraging them to understand why they're doing something, the heart gets broken. And when the heart gets broken, that's when God can deal with them. That's when God deals with us as adults, right? When our hearts get broken on something, then we all have a more instructive heart. And that can lead to transformational godly change that is going for a child going to be who they become for the rest of their lives. Number three, be patient with the process. Boy, the devil is real. He will certainly be committed to disrupting that process. Um, if it makes you a better parent or if it makes that child understand he needs a risen Savior or if he's already saved, makes him a more fully devoted follower of Christ, the devil is certainly going to interrupt that. And if you don't believe that, in 1 Peter 5 eight tells us your adversary the devil prowls around like a, like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. We need to be persistent and devoted to having these heart conversations with our kids um, so that God can do something within their lives that, look, we could never do.
We cannot change our kids. We cannot make them do things. We cannot make them become things. But God can. So when we help them understand and break down their hearts so God can work what only he can work in, then we have done what what our job is. Number four, be willing to confess your faults. Telling you, this stuff is not easy. Um, How many times do you hear yourself, or is it easy to say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong? Or do those words roll off with like a bitter, sour taste when when you actually find, okay, I've got to say those? Um, As we go through this process of delivering mercy to our children, in order for them to have their heart changed, be careful, because your heart may be changed. We may become different people. We may become more merciful to in, in showing others what God consistently shows us. Um, so once you're ready to commit to this process, right, the yelling goes away, the sarcastic tone goes away, um, uh, There's no more anger. It's just going to be all hunky-dory from here on out, right? Thumbs up. Yeah. Probably think again. Um, So we might even have to unlearn in that process a terrible thought in our own mind that telling our kids we were wrong and we're sorry shows weakness and our kids will disrespect us from this. When we sin against our kids, and can you sit back and think of a time where you have clearly made a huge mistake in your, in, in your kid's life dealing with a particular situation, we should run with sorrow to our kids and asking them forgiveness. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another, And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God Christ forgave you. Do you think these words only apply to our relationships with others? Do they not apply to our children, husbands, probably to our wives? Um, if we take ownership of that and we confess our sins and ask for our kids forgiveness what is a greater example to our children of those two verses of what God expects us to do to one another if we do that for, for these young boys and girls Obviously, hopefully, we don't have to do it too regularly, right? We don't want to make mistake after mistake just so we can apologize to our kids. It's going to happen naturally. We don't have to, to, to look for that opportunity. Number five, be slow to anger and quick to forgive. I'm sure there are plenty of parents here that all of their kids are grown. They're adults. And I'm certain you don't look back and say, boy... I missed some great opportunities to be angry. I wished I should have. I wished I would have laid down the hammer a little bit more often. That's not what goes through your mind. So why do we think, right in the midst of dealing with a problem, that it's the best idea to be angry? Um, the one that said she doesn't care the story I tell isn't here today. She's working. <laughs> As you can tell which one it is, we only have two girls. Um, Our first daughter, Courtney, is a strong-willed child. And she was a strong-willed child from the time she could move. So she's 22. She's still strong-willed, except for she's a strong-willed adult. And, you know, if I look back on the stuff that I did and said as a parent in my early 30s, for the sake of consistency. If you do that one more time, I swear I'm going to pull the car over. (laughs) That was anger. I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't slow to anger. 
that was frustrated and disappointed because she wouldn't stop back talking in the back seat and kept mumbling this and mumbling that. Well, I don't understand why we can't go here. Courtney, that's enough. We don't need to hear anymore. But that doesn't make any sense. Courtney, if you talk one more time, I'm pulling the car over. Well, what do I got to do? Pull the car over. That was not right. That was not the right decision. So find the item that makes you be more slow to anger and quick to forgive. Remember what we talked about in the early part. So was that the right opportunity? So what happens when you become angry? Remove yourself. Well, you're driving. You can't really remove yourself, can you? But you remove yourself mentally. If she keeps running her mouth, turn the radio up. You know, there's ways around having to, and she's, she's, she's seven years old. I mean, what harm could she really be doing if she keeps talking? But the point is, my discipline came out of anger as opposed to an object way to show God's love to her to keep her from doing that. Again, I'm not looking back today and celebrating I pulled that car over. It's not my proudest moment. There's probably a lot more that I don't want to share today that would be a lot less proud than that one. Um, and I'm sure many of you have the same thing. So I, I'm sorry, kid. Well, there's a couple of them. And I, I look at the kids that are 17, 18 to 20 because the age of kids are, are getting longer these days. Your parents get frustrated. They get irritated with the things you, you say and do. They may be irritated right now and you don't even really know it. Um, but it's going to happen. So we as parents need to find the time um, or find the opportunity in our heart. We need to be prayerful to be more patient, to be slow to anger. And that means, like I said, especially in the house, removing yourself from the situation, even if it's for a couple minutes. But I will say that not talking to somebody from days or giving them the silent treatment is not calming down. That's adding fuel to the fire. So if you're one that likes to give the silent treatment, um, which I was a recipient of growing up, it's just sort of a family thing. It is not fun. And I found myself doing that even though my mother told me constantly, don't you take that into your marriage. Don't you take that into your marriage. And um, so that is not a way to remove, remove yourself from that situation. Um, it could even be the next day. But what you do is you get up in the morning and you ask God's forgiveness. You ask for his grace, for his unmerited gift to you um, to be driven not to condemn your child through anger, but instead rescue them through forgiveness. We get forgiven every day. Why is it so hard to for, forgive our children for what they've done? Um, we need to feel this grace from God. We need to feel that we've been given grace so that we can give that grace to our children. And the final one on this, um, number six, pray before, during, and after. Parenting should be all about prayer. Boy, there's not a book, is there? There's multiple books, but there's no recipe for, for parenting. Um, the concept from 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without, they, <laughs> pray without ceasing. Can you think of a better time to be literally on your knees daily than when you have children growing up? Um, <clears throat> So when do we have more time? How can we make more time in prayer? The book gives us ideas. I mean, why aren't you praying while you're making lunch? Pray for their school, that they're, the, the day that they're getting ready to go. They're coming home. They're getting ready to go do their homework at the kitchen table or in their bedroom, wherever they do. Pray for your kids then. You're brushing your teeth in the morning. Pray for your spouse that you become better, more forgiving and, and trusting and merciful parents. We have plenty of times to, to pray. We don't need to be in a prayer closet, although it's great for an hour or an hour and a half praying for our kids, but we certainly should be praying all day. Praying without ceasing is not really hard. We have a lot of opportunity to offer up prayers 
And that should be on our mind. We are communicating with God. How much do you think God would appreciate hearing from us multiple, multiple times a day? So when we're praying, we're typically going to be asking for help with this and help with that, with raising our kids. I've got this problem. They've got this problem in school. They've got a test coming up. Uh, we're praying for their friends. So we understand when we pray, it allows us to become more weak. We understand our weakness, that we're not excellent um, parents that everybody looks up to and says, ooh, I wish I could be just like them. The kids are perfect. There's very few of those out there. Um, very few parents that are even close to that, if we're honest. Um, we don't know it all. Don't we remember that we all need, that when we are weak, he is strong. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul was writing about, his, about a vision he had and the thorn that the Lord had given in, in his side. Uh, and, and he wanted it removed, but Paul realized God had put that thorn in his side so that he could not, so he wouldn't think more highly of, of himself. He wouldn't be so conceited. And so Paul told us that the Lord um, revealed to him uh, in verses 9 and 10, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response in that letter to the church was, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, if you remember this as we pray, and our prayers continue to reveal that we are needy, and we need God's grace in raising our children then through our weakness, you know, I've always said, I've always thought it's, you know, God is made strong. God is already strong. We don't need, God doesn't need our prayers. God doesn't need us to be weak for him to be strong. He is already strong. If you look at that end of the verse, it says we are strong. When we are made, when we are weak because of God's perfect strength, we perfect his strength through our weakness because then we become strong. We'll close mercy with the verse from, from with this verse from James chapter two verse thirteen. The first twelve chap, twelve verses of James is discussing the dangers, and we just went through James not too not too long ago. Um, he's discussing the dangers of showing partiality uh, to others and warns us in verse thirteen for judgment for judgment is without mercy. Judgment is without mercy to one who who shown no mercy. That's a powerful statement. We will not get mercy from God if we do not show mercy to others. At the end it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So, whew, that is 13 principles of parenting. Anybody feel strengthened, a little weakened, maybe a little bit of both? Well, now are you ready for rest? Um, it's a little bit of disappointment. I thought it was going to tell us how to, how to make trips for low cost, how to find other people to watch your kids so you can get away and relax. Well, that's not what the, what, what the chapter's about, but it's a great chapter. So according to the Greek legend, an ancient Athens, a man noticed that the great storyteller Aesop was playing childish games with some little boys. He laughed and jeered at Aesop, asking him, why are you wasting so much time in such frivolous activity? Aesop responded by picking up a bow, a bow and arrow, a child bow, off the ground, and he loosened the string. For those young ones they used to have like a, a little a, a bow that had a string on it. it wasn't these compound fancy bows he loosened the string on it and it slackened up um the bow he placed it on the ground then he looked at the critical athenian and he said answer this riddle if you can tell us 
what the unstrung bow represents. The man looked at it, looked on the ground, thought about it. He had no idea. And he, he told Aesop, I have no idea. Aesop said, if you keep a bow always bent, it will eventually break. But if you let it go slack, it will be more fit when you actually need it. And so as we finish this parenting season with rest, you may have thought <laughs> we're going to get into discussing uh, how to find time to unwind or get some slack in our lives, like in the bow. Although finding time and activities like that to unwind is great and it is needed. But what this chapter is going to do is going to allow us to figure out how to loosen ourselves up while we're parenting so that we're not so wound tight, so that when problems do happen, we are not so exhausted and we can deal with the situations that are going on. In the book, Paul David Tripp described often meeting parents at conferences that are discouraged and um, exhausted from their responsibilities of being a parent. He was describing that they sometimes come to these conferences excited, looking for something, or depressed, like, I just don't need to come to another conference that's going to tell me exactly what I'm not doing day in and day out as I'm raising my kids. And here's some of the things they say. I start out the day telling myself that I'll do better, but the, by the end of the day, I'm screaming at them again. I've read all the good parenting books, or for me, my wife has read all the good parenting books, but none of them have helped. How would it be that a three-year-old boy could have the power to make me so crazy? And I feel all the time that I just need to rest, but there is no rest for a parent. So now that you probably can relate to these, and if you don't, and if one of these weren't your main one, you probably have a few yourself. Um, so, so now that we're that, that we've gone through this lesson, and we know we sometimes struggle with patience, understanding, showing kids grace, um, showing them forgiveness about and how God has given us that same forgiveness. We've recognized their brokenness and need for a savior and discipleship and realize that we need to shower them with mercy when they deserve punishment. That's just exhausting saying it. We need rest. So how do we get rest so that we don't need rest? How do we get rest so we don't need rest? Well, here's the answer. We can only experience real rest when we put our heart Put our hearts at rest, knowing that God will give you the tools you need to get the job done that he has called us to be. It is not us. We, we didn't cho choose to be parents. We didn't choose those children. God entrusted them to us. He chose us to be those kids as parents. So that's, that's the start of this process, to understand that God has assigned us. He has chosen us to be their parents. You'll never feel rested avoiding the issues by getting more sleep, more time away from your house and eat house, more time away from your house with your spouse, hopefully, um, or solving your kids' problem. And that's sometimes good when you can help solve, you know, your kids got a tremendous problem and and you get in there and you help them. in that sense, sense of relief when they actually listen to you and believe you and it actually works out? But there's no sense of rest in that. It might be immediate, but there's long, no long-term sense of rest um, as long as you're not recognizing your role as compared to God's role. So let's look at the, the verse that most appropriately begins our journey for putting our heart at rest. But before we do, who has the parenting book with them? Has anybody got the parenting book with them? Kaylee, I think you have the parenting book with you. Oh, look at that. Tell me what page the chapter on rest begins. Told you, the kids thing, I can't get away from it. You got to, it's interactive. Perfect, 179. Who has their Bible with them today? All right, I'm not going to call on anybody. Find in your Bible 
the chapter that begins with the topic on rest. Anybody? Anybody? That's right. In God's infinite... Who's, somebody says... Uh, that's a verse <laughs> or two <laughs> um, but in God's infinite wisdom he has not designed the Bible um, in a topical con- in a topical form it's not an editorial mistake it's God's design it is it is built to tell us a redemptive story and if and, and while it's great to use the internet today, if you have a uh, physical concordance uh, at, at home that gives you topics, or even some, some Bibles in the back will have a concordance on topics you can look up, uh, parenting, children, child, fathers, mothers, and you can get some great verses, which Ephesians 4 would be one of them, um, to help you determine or to help you and give you some information about parenting. But that's not how the Bible's written. We have to spend time in that word. We have to understand and, and that God is telling us through a story through his word. And why do I lead to that? It's because we're going to go to the Great Commission. And you think, I have never thought of the Great Commission as a good couple of verses that that helped me to become a better parent. Matthew 28, verses 18 or 20. If you don't have it, you can just look back on the back wall. I won't be offended if you're looking away. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He has the authority, period. Not our kids, certainly not us. He, Jesus, has the authority. He makes it clear in the Great Commission to the disciples that he is in control. So rest assured, no matter what situations you're currently dealing with, with raising your kids, whether they're young or old, Jesus knows exactly where you are and has a plan to help you get through that right where you are. It's our choice whether we recognize Jesus's lordship over our lives and not let doubt take over our thoughts and our actions. And I think once we start remembering that more regularly, that we won't feel the weight of our kids' problems on our shoulders as our burdens, but instead beg God to use us as a tool as we shake those little young boys and girls or maybe old older men and women to become more fully devoted or even Christians follows followers of Christ so that Jesus can then guide their actions and shape their heart. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Is that what we do as parents? Are we, are we sharing the gospel on a regular basis with our kids? Are we, ex, are, we, are we exposing them to the message, to that, that gospel message from the New Testament to the, the Old Testament to the New Testament, the, the redemptive story that God has? Are we, are we showing them, are we teaching them all that he has commanded us through that? Ah, jumping ahead. Teaching them to deserve teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We don't need to write a textbook or the playbook what to teach them. It's already written for us. English is important. Math is critical. History, science, social studies, shop, even my favorite, financial literacy, all important topics. but teaching them that they are an important part of God's redemptive story outweighs them all. So here's the most important part of this scripture, I think, relative to raising our children and finding the rest, and finding the rest in God's given role. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Do we really believe this? When the disobedience doesn't stop, NHIs are killing us. Uh, they're killing the grades. Uh, they're bickering with their siblings. They're disrespecting the parents. The music they listen to, the time they spend on the internet, um, the friends they keep. When all of these challenges appear, do we put these burdens on our shoulders? They're not our burdens. When God gave us the direction that he was going to make us their parents, he told us right here, he was going with us. So we have a journey as parents. God packed his bags and he is going with us on that journey. Are you ready to take them? Paul David Tripp made a point in this chapter on rest that basically asked, did you realize while you were parenting your children, God was parenting you? I think we all realize that God has given us the responsibility of parenting and discipling our children. And the Great Commission should um, give us the assurance that as sure as he has sent us on that mission, he makes it clear that he's going with us. So what, what can we do now that we're in rest? What can we do to get our minds and souls to have the rest while we're parenting? Not a break from parenting, but the rest while we're parenting. Four, four short things. You ready for that, Josh? Four short things to remember. Don't be the bearer of your child's welfare. We've said that a couple times already. Their problems are not our problems. They're their problems. We cannot solve their problems. We can't change their heart. God can. We don't need to see them as our problems. It is our responsibility to parent and help them and give them the tools that they need to. But if we are taking their problems on as our problems, we will never have rest. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 30 to bring our burdens to who to him and when we bring our burdens and lay them at his feet what does he give us he gives us rest the bible is clear don't take your kids burdens on and then you just give your burdens to god they're all given to god they're all given to christ and he will give us rest but what do we do often we put those burdens and their problems on us as our problems. Cry for help. He will hear us. There will certainly be times of raising children will be challenging. But the gospel message clearly gives us the assurance that we have a Savior who cares so much that he laid his life down for us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. 6 and 7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares. I capitalize that. He cares for us. He cares for you. He cares about us. He's not cutting us loose. He is with us and not only is he with us not to watch us and to discipline us but because he's care. He cares and he's going to help us. Weakness is a blessing. Again, we talked about that under, under mercy. As a Christian parent, it is not our fear of weakness that's the problem. It's our confidence in our strength. When we think we have all the answers, when we think that we can solve our kids' problems, that's when we get in trouble because we are not relying on God. We are solving the problems ourselves. And I finally, I, finally, I think this is the most important part of this whole section um, regarding rest. It's faithfulness, not results. It's faithfulness, not results. Our children's outcome is not, it is not our responsibility. I think we know that. I think we realize that our kids, the way they turn out, it is not our responsibility. We have an impact. But there's a lot of things that as they get into their teen, late teen years that are learned and developed on their own. We provide, we ask God for the tools, we provide those tools with information to our children, and then they are responsible for their outcome. 
No different than who is responsible for our, our outcome, our relationship with God. So we build a relationship with our kids to build a relationship with God. And then between them and God, God is responsible for their outcome. Our responsibility is to be faithful in teaching them that all God has instructed us to teach us. Parents, are your hearts at rest? If we cannot trust God to control and guide us in parents, we will never be at rest. If we can't trust God to take us through the valleys, we will never be at rest. No matter how many vacations we take, how many times we get away, how much extra sleep and how many naps we take during the day, we will never be at rest if we don't trust God to parent to guide us in parenting our children. As David ends this chapter, we will end our message today. So let's meditate upon and celebrate his power and presence and go do what we've been chosen to do with courage and with hope. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I thank you for hitting us hard with a series of seven messages to encourage us to be par better parents. Whether we're parenting toddlers, um, adolescents, teenagers, early, child, early adults, or even maybe 40 and 50-year-olds, Lord, I just pray that you will give us the biblical knowledge and the courage to be Christ-like teachers of our children. Lord, I just thank you and I praise you for this day and, and, and ask that you'll, you'll speak to us throughout these weeks, letting us absorb what we have learned and changing us into better parents that are, that are Christ-like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.